This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialist. Good morning. In today's headlines, now that Elon Musk owns Twitter, what will happen to its staff? Major layoffs could be on the way. CBS and its former CEO will pay $30 million as part of a sexual misconduct investigation. We have more on the settlement announced yesterday. Takeaways from New Hampshire's U.S. Senate debate incumbent Democratic Senator Maggie Hassan is hoping to hold onto her seat. Recent polls have the two candidates neck and neck. Diesel prices are skyrocketing and truckers are among those that feel the hurt the most. We speak to a trucking company owner to find out what the impact is. And NTD's sixth international piano competition has come to an end. We have highlights of the winners and hear from distinguished guests and past winners. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, and I'm Evelyn Lee. It's Thursday today, November 3rd. That is such a big concern, diesel prices being sky high. Evelyn, I'm really looking forward to your interview with the trucking VP because what these trucking companies have to do to offset the high cost of fuel affects us all as consumers. Yeah, yeah, and he really gave some good insights into what's going on actually in his business right now. Well, we'll get into that, of course, but first we start off with some news about Twitter. Since Elon Musk bought the social media platform, many have been wondering what will happen to its staff. Now anonymous sources tell Insider around half of the company's employees could soon be let go. Insider says it also saw an internal message which, back, which backs the claim. The sources say there is a list of around 3,700 people who may be let go, all chosen by vice presidents. Reportedly, the lists were sent to Musk and his team to, for review. The company currently has around 7,500 employees. And we will know more tomorrow at noon because that's when Twitter may have its first layoffs. Musk fired top executives, including the CEO, when the deal first went through. Musk also mentioned the possible reboot of the Vine app. Vine was really popular back in the day. It's a short video app that's similar to TikTok, but Twitter shut it down a few years ago. And he is making changes to the subscription service and the blue checkmark verification system. Musk says an $8 a month subscription will give priority in replies, mentions and searches. It will also give paying users the verified badge. Subscribers will be able to post longer audio and video clips and see half as many ads. And CBS and its former CEO, Leslie Moonves, have reached a settlement agreement with the New York Attorney General's office. They will pay $30 million as part of a sexual misconduct investigation. Attorney General Letitia James announced the deal Wednesday. The AG's office says CBS and its executives knew about multiple allegations being made against Moonves and intentionally concealed them. They say at least one executive who knew about the internal investigation sold millions of dollars of stock before the allegations went public and that it amounts to insider trading. CBS will pay $22 million to shareholders and $6 million to strengthen the reporting and investigating of sexual harassment and assault complaints. Moonves stepped down as CEO in 2018 and has denied the allegations. He must pay $2.5 million to CBS shareholders. 
We're going to the border. Border Patrol says there has been a nearly 300% increase in illegal immigrants arriving by boat to Florida. In October 2021, there were 14 landings, but in October of this year, there were 54 landings involving 850 migrants. Over recent months, officials have seen a rising number of refugees, primarily Haitians and Cubans, traveling on makeshift boats. Some fleeing communist Cuba were intercepted on their way to Florida, and they say they're fleeing worsening economic and political conditions. After weeks of trying to put a positive spin on America's economy, despite soaring inflation, President Joe Biden turned Wednesday night to a different message. He warned in the final days of midterm election season that democracy itself is under threat due to controversy over elections and political violence. And today's Daniel Monahan has more. This is not about me. According to former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki speaking on NBC's Meet the Press, that's a good thing for Democrats. If it is a referendum on the president, they will lose. In his speech delivered from Washington's Union Station, Biden waxed on the deep significance of elections in American life. However, he also expressed fears about the country's trajectory going forward and made an appeal. It's within our power, each and every one of us, to preserve our democracy. And I believe we will. Biden saved his strongest words for what he called MAGA Republicans. This is driving force. It's trying to succeed where they failed in 2020, to suppress the right of voters and subvert the electoral system itself. Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan of Georgia felt there was a glaring omission in Biden's speech. America is distracted with the economy. And, uh, you know, of all the things he spoke about tonight, he never mentioned the economy. Election polls close next Tuesday. More than 27 million Americans have already cast their ballots. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. New Hampshire U.S. Senate candidates met for a third and final debate on Wednesday. Recent polls have Senator Maggie Hassan and Republican Don Baldock neck and neck. The two candidates discussed issues like the economy and inflation, as well as the Biden administration, among other topics. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg brings us some highlights from the debate. Senator Maggie Hassan is hoping to hold on to her seat. The incumbent was quick to criticize President Joe Biden's administration in Wednesday's debate. On the southern border, uh, I have traveled there uh, multiple times, talked with frontline personnel, uh, and I have stood up to the administration about their plan to prematurely lift Title 42. On the issue of fentanyl coming into the U.S., Hassan says she stood with President Trump in 2018 when he signed a bill into law to give Border Patrol better technology to detect the illicit drug. Bullduck blamed the border crisis on the Biden administration and Hassan for voting along with them. The former Army general served 10 tours in Afghanistan. He says the administration's withdrawal left the U.S. with no diplomatic leadership and no political leadership in international affairs. Hassan says she would support an investigation into how the Taliban took control so quickly after the U.S. left. I disagreed with the administration on its decision uh, to set an arbitrary deadline for withdrawal from Afghanistan, as I disagreed with the previous administration when it set an arbitrary deadline. And I have supported an investigation to hold the administration accountable. The two also discussed abortion, the economy, and inflation. With inflation at a 40-year high, Bullduck argued the Keystone XL pipeline should be reopened to combat rising fuel prices. Hassan and Bullduck agreed on some points. Both condemned the recent attack on House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband. Bullduck says he was nearly assaulted when walking into the debate. 
He says attacks like this are a sign of political problems that are wrong and need to stop. Republicans and Democrats that fuel issues with people, that get them to the point where they are just so upset at an individual that they strike out at them. Happened to me outside. According to Bulldog's campaign, the man that tried to punch him was a libertarian activist. He was grazed by the swing, but not hurt. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The race for New York governor has tightened in the final weeks. This has surprised Democrats who saw strong poll numbers for incumbent Governor Kathy Hochul. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more. Whether you walk down the streets, you take the subway, anywhere you go, you have the right to be safe in our communities. Despite pivoting to discuss crime, Hochul's lead in opinion polls has dwindled in recent weeks. Zeldin hopes his anti-crime messaging will help him further narrow the gap and win the governor's chair. It's important to reach out to everybody, Republicans, Democrats, and independents. And there are a lot of Democrats who feel like the party has gone too far left. There are a bunch of Democrats who care about crime and public safety as their top priority. There are Democrats who want balance and common sense in government. There are Democrats who feel like this is an opportunity to be able to save the state and they want to work together. Political consultant Hank Shankoff weighs in on the race. This is an unusual race. We have Kathy Hochul, who was an elected governor before, who succeeded Andrew Cuomo when he had to remove himself because of a sex, sexual harassment scandal. He says the crime surge isn't just in New York City, it's in Rochester, Buffalo, Syracuse, and other places in New York. The Democrats have somehow believed the issue was abortion, but they weren't looking at the rest of the country. People in the heartland, people they need to vote, they're not concerned about abortion. They may be one day, but right now, they're concerned about the cost of gas and bread. And they're worried about being able to walk home safely at night. Hochul has criticized Eldon for supporting former President Donald Trump and for voting against certifying the 2020 election results. Polls close next Tuesday. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And another issue many are worried about, the diesel shortage. Amid surging diesel prices, truck drivers are among those that suffer the most, especially small businesses have trouble stomaching the rising costs, and some told Fox News because of it, they have to work for peanuts now. But what happens when companies can't absorb the costs anymore? I spoke to the owner of a trucking company to find out. Joining me for more is Mike Kucharski. He's the co-owner and vice president of JKC Trucking. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Thank you for having me on your show again. Always a pleasure to have you. Let's talk about the high diesel price right now. Can you please give us a, an, an idea of what it means for your company and your trucking business? Yeah, so uh, on average, just to give you an idea, we're paying about $5.50 on the road and um, over $5 at our terminal where we buy in bulk, which we get a discount. To give you an example how much it's gone up since last year, uh, when we buy in bulk, just the diesel itself has gone up $1.57 per gallon and $0.26 cents in, in taxes. And, you know, it's We are very concerned because this situation will only get worse, in my opinion. You know, The Energy Department just released, uh, reported that this week the U.S. only has 25 days reserve diesel supply as of October 14th, you know, a, a low not seen in a, a decade, and it's totally unacceptable. You know, this is concerning because why do we need to release oil reserves to offset costs of fuel? You know, these shortages, shortages are going to worsen. You know, we are very concerned as a small business because, you know, we could go out of business, and we've had to take precautions to, 
you know, cut costs and, and to save money. Yeah, that's that sounds serious. I mean, how do you deal with it then? I mean, can you pass on the high cost and how do you lay people off? What do you make? What can you do to make sure your business survives? I mean, we're charging something called a fuel surcharge, which all trucking companies do, but that only catches the cost of, of the, co the, the increase in the cost, right? But JKZ, we had to cut driver pay to cover our costs. Uh, actually, we lowered it by $0.05 cents November 1st. Uh, and just to give you an idea, during COVID, we increased it three times because of volume volatility. You know, as volumes are volumes of freight are down, so when the volumes come down, the prices come down. The fuels up, you know, loads pay less, skyrocketing. We have skyrocketing costs in the trucking industry. Uh, give you an example. We've been trying to buy new trailers for two years. We just got pricing to brand new trailers. Brand new trailers are 32% up since previous pricing. We can't afford that. That is just too much money, you know? So we're, we're, we're doing the best we can. Anything that you buy pretty much is moved by truck. 70% of the goods are moved by truck. So all these costs are gonna be trickled down to the consumer. We have to charge more to cover our costs or charge as much as we can to cover our costs. And this is, you know, trickled down to the end user, which is the American people. Yeah, very interesting point. So thank you so much, Mike Kacharski, JKC Trucking. I appreciate it as always. Thank you, Armian. Coming up, with the rising costs of living, children's sports activities are among the many things parents have to scale back on. We hear from one family about their strife. And should people be allowed to bring American flags into school sporting events? One high school says no, and parents are speaking out. Find out more after the break. Welcome back. Ohio's Attorney General is suing Dollar General AG Dave Yost filed a lawsuit against the discount chain after receiving consumer complaints from multiple counties. The suit accuses Dollar General of advertising goods for one price on shelves and then charging more at the register. The suit cites violations of Ohio's Consumer Sales Practices Act. Stores in Ohio are allowed to have an error rate of up to 2% on overcharges. According to the AG's press release, state regulators found error rates from around 16% to over 88% for $20 general stores. Some consumers said even after they pointed out price discrepancies, the stores would not change the price. Should American flags be allowed into high school football games? One school says they block the view of the game for attendees. Now parents are speaking out. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. Hold glory, also known as the American flag, is displayed in most sports stadiums throughout the country. But should people be allowed to bring their own American flag to school sporting events? In 2016, according to Greenville News of South Carolina, a student with an American flag was denied entry to the high school football game. The principal said it was because the American flag was previously used to taunt rival Berea High School, which is about 50% Hispanic, as shown on Public High School Review. That principal later reversed his decision. This is not right. This is not okay. I spoke with Michael Lorainer, who said her daughter had a similar thing happen at Corona del Sol High School in Tempe, Arizona. It happened during the school's patriotic-themed football game, in which everyone was encouraged to wear red, white, and blue. They did allow the theme to move forward, but then I started getting text messages and phone calls from not only the students, but parents, that they were confiscating the flags. And I said, 
confiscating the flags they said are kids wearing them as capes aren't they wearing them around like all that kind of stuff even parent you know handheld flags they weren't even allowing the handheld flags then but she said this was not the case for other school districts in their area as she has two students in another school district they all got to wear american flags to the tune that they even got to wear political figures on their shirts they got to wear the flags as capes they got to wear the flags as dresses they got to run across that field with flags being flown. Those are students in the stands at neighboring high schools and neighboring districts that were allowed that opportunity, and our students were not. Wearing a U.S. flag is a violation of proper flag code, but the school hasn't cited this as a reason. The executive director of community relations for Corona Del Sol High School said that she believes there was a small handful of game attendees who tried to bring in full-size flags. This was not allowed because it would obstruct views of the game for other attendees. Smaller flags and other items were allowed in without issue. Jason Perry, NTD News. The cost of living crisis is hitting everywhere. Children's sports activities are no exception. The onslaught of inflation across America this year has added a costly wrinkle to ballparks, swimming pools, and dance studios across America, forcing many parents to scale back and keep costs down. Entity's Cost Jimenez tells us more. Recent studies prior to inflation suggest families spend around $700 a year on kids' sports, the biggest portion being travel and equipment. Since inflation hit, many households had to find creative ways to keep costs down. For families like Rachel Kennedy's, this is proving to be a big challenge. We went from paying, you know, like $30 to like $60, $75 for a glove that he's going to outgrow in a season. Rising gas prices meant the family had to cut back on travel for weekend games and tournaments. Kennedy said she is lucky to have a supportive family, including grandparents who help with the cost of Liam's baseball. But some things had to go. Still, Liam loves baseball and sitting it out altogether wasn't a real choice. I try to make sure that he understands it's not his responsibility. It's not his fault that we are in this position. It just, this is the way the chips fell and this is what it is. But we're doing everything we can to make sure that he has what he needs to play the game. The annual inflation rate for the 12 months ending in September was 8.2%. At stake is the future of a youth sports industry that generated an estimated $20 billion in 2020. Cost MNS, NTD News. Like everything else lately, Thanksgiving is becoming more expensive. Market research firm IRI predicts this year's meal could be about 13.5% more costly than last year. The company compared retail prices for some Thanksgiving foods like turkey and other meat, baking essentials, beverages, and side dishes. Promotions in the coming weeks could help lower the cost, but IRI doesn't expect that to sway prices too heavily. Shoppers are probably aware they might have to shell out more for holiday food, given how high grocery prices have been lately. According to an IRI survey, about 38% of consumers expect to pay more for Thanksgiving meals, even though they're planning to buy the same amount of food. And coming up, NTD's sixth international piano competition has come to an end with a Future Stars concert. We have highlights of the winners and some distinguished guests and past winners. And one Spanish artist from Valencia is taking the practical art form of embroidery to new artistic heights. She's creating brilliant cross-stitching to adorn whitewashed buildings along rustic streets in her hometown and beyond. We have her story after the break.
Welcome back. Finalists of NTD's sixth international piano competition performed in the Future Stars concert Wednesday, and then the winners were announced. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. NTD's sixth international piano competition has come to a close. All of the winners celebrated by participating in the Future Stars concert. Let's take a look at the highlights. On Wednesday, contestants and distinguished guests graced the stage for a final performance in the grand finale of NTD's sixth international piano competition. And the first prize goes to Antony Barashevsky. Born in Kyiv, Ukraine, Barashevsky started playing piano at the age of seven. Currently, Barashevsky is a soloist at the National Philharmonic of Ukraine. Josie Zhang of China received the second place award. And the third place trophy went to Evangelia Delazonas Kukwa of Russia. Some contestants shared final words about their experiences in this competition. I received a marvelous um, experience playing here in this hall. I enjoyed very much this piano and um, it's uh, always a great pleasure for us pianists to play on a good piano that helps us to produce everything that we um, wanted. Uh, it's really fun to be around other musicians who are great, um, to be in the city, to perform in this great venue and have these opportunities. And yes, I think it's been very inspirational and will carry over into the rest of my life. <laughs> Audience members expressed their appreciation for the competition and its mission. Classical music is some of the most brilliant music that has been created in this world. And it would be very lost to the world if we did not continue to appreciate and um, judge it, so to speak. It's been a very good experience to see all these young um, rising star performers perform. You can feel the, the energy and their skills just radiating off the stage. It's been amazing, really. NTD gives special thanks to world-renowned Russian performers who graced the stage. This year's competition was extra special to all of us at NTD, and we hope that all of you enjoyed watching it as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. Well, I certainly enjoyed watching it, and it was, it was really, truly amazing. Every single one of them was. Oh, absolutely. I agree. And it must just take so much hard work to produce such beautiful sound. Oh, for sure. But moving on now, the ancient art of embroidery dates back to the dawn of human civilization. It's inspired one Spanish artist to brighten up the streets of her hometown as well as other places in the world. Let's take a look. Throughout the ages, grandmothers and mothers have passed down the ancient art of embroidery. Spanish artist Raquel Rodrigo has added a unique twist. She creates brilliant cross-stitching to adorn whitewashed buildings along the rustic streets in her hometown, Valencia, as well as abroad. Rodrigo says she wants to capture the embroidered flowers on cushions, sheets, towels from houses, and bring them to the street, breaking the barrier between public and private. Her materials mainly consist of metal mesh, cotton, velvet, or silk cords. Weaving on metal grid, one square yard takes Rodrigo, plus one helper, about two days to complete. Once completed, the works are matched and mounted to brick or stucco siding. Her work is also featured in commercial spaces and galleries. Rodrigo learned the art from her mother when she was little. She first debuted her work in Madrid in 2011. 
Since then, Rodrigo has also started to work in Switzerland and Saudi Arabia. Her aspiration, she says, is to bring light to the feminine art that has dressed homes for many years and throughout the world. I must say, I'm pretty much blown away right now. That's incredible. What a great idea. Oh, I know. And it just brings so much charm to the neighborhood, doesn't it? And you know what, Evelyn? I've never done embroidery, but I have knitted before. I made a half sock using a pegboard loom. It was a very relaxing experience. Mm. A man of very many talents, huh? Oh, you stop. Uh. <laughs> oh, you know what? And I even made a rug, actually, as part of a, as part of a county fair. The Amish had a, a loom there, and they were allowing us to try our hand at it. And, you know, there's just something about those handmade products. They're really durable and comforting. I agree. It really makes a difference. But we have to end it here now, everyone. Remember, you can write us at goodmorning at NTD.com. So shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.